Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Reconciliation Conversation podcast. We really appreciate you stopping by. If you'd like to watch this conversation, please go to the YouTube channel, No More Night Media. That's No More Night Media. Thanks again for listening. Welcome to another edition of the Reconciliation Conversation podcast. Uh, We want this to be a space where we can expose hate, encourage love, equip for healthy reconciliation, and emphasize unity so that all people can know their value together as one. My name is Derek Delane, and I'm here with my good friend Jason Dukes. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. And and some of our listeners may know you are in transition, or about to be in transition. And uh, so you've been carrying a lot. And so let me say publicly, thank you for taking a few minutes to do what you do and how well you do it uh, with us on this today, bro. Man, that, that means a lot, Jason. Yeah, we're, we're transitioning to Nashville, literally. Uh, so next week, we, we move out of our house. And so uh, if I turn my computer around right now, uh, boxes on boxes all over the place. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but we're excited about, uh, about getting out that way, man. So, uh, well, listen, I'm excited for, for our guest today. Um, uh, we have uh, Pastor Alan Cross. Uh, he is an amazing uh, man, as I was uh, kind of looking him up a little bit. Uh, highly respected in, in the church and, and journalistic mm-hmm. and historical and government circles for his insights on, on race and, and the South and immigration culture. Uh, he is actually currently a pastor uh, just north of San Fran. He's an op-ed writer for the New York Times, author of When Heaven and Earth Collide, Racism, Southern Evangelicals, and a Better Way of Jesus. Uh, he's also a contributor for Bulwark Online, Christianity Today, RNS, Providence Mag, uh, time and, and MGM advertiser. This guy is doing everything, uh, and he's way better than both of us combined. So, Pastor Alan Cross, <laughs> my man, thank you for joining us today. Man, I uh, appreciate that. Re- uh, reject all of the of, uh, of your final conclusion, but I'm very happy to be with you guys for sure. Let's, listen, when you when you got it like that, man, we're gonna we're gonna recognize it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, Just do he, the thing and not, see what happens. So. He's not, he's not going to flex. So we'll flex for you. That's what it is. Love it. Love it. Well, well, listen, uh, I want to jump, I want to jump right in. And uh, man, you know, as a matter of fact, as I I was thinking about this question, uh, I was thinking, I was like, you know, Derek, like you're going to expose yourself a a little bit here. Um, And I I was like, you know what, I think uh, our, our listeners, they need to, they need to see that, that level of of vulnerability and transparency. So I want to, I wanted to jump in. Um, because man, this is going to expose some of some of my racial bias in this uh, this question. So, Alan, I want to ask you, as as a white guy, uh, what first got you interested in matters of race and immigration? And the reason why I ask that, and why I say uh, it, it exposes my my bias, uh, I oftentimes I'm just curious why you know white men are thinking about this. You know, older white men, um, especially in the context where I grew up, I just didn't see that. Uh, and so, uh, man, I want to hear from you um, why. Why is it this something that that uh, you know interests you? Yeah, and um, I don't I don't feel that much older, but I guess it's it's starting to happen. Um, you know, I'm a, <laughs> uh, a, a 45, and so I, I was born in the 1970s in New Orleans, and uh, you know, my family um, we had family in South Mississippi, so moved when I was five years old. Didn't realize it was it was white flight, but that's what it was. You know, we were trying to get out of the, out of the city, and um, you know, some uh, my parents wanted to send me to 
to public schools in a small town that was, you know, that was mostly white picking in Mississippi where I grew up. And so I, you know, I just grew up um, in the South in uh, Mississippi. I loved history and, and loved, uh, um, you know, exploring the, uh, the past. I had ancestors who fought for the Confederacy and, and uh, you know, I ran across that, uh, that they owned slaves and wasn't proud of that. But, I, you know, I would wave the Confederate flag and, and all that. And then really in my, in my mind, it, it was really just regional, you know, just regional pride. Like I didn't connect, like I knew slavery was bad, I knew racism was bad and I didn't connect it, you know, what it all meant. It was more of like, yeah, I'm proud to be from the South and I'm proud to be mm-hmm. from Louisiana and Mississippi. And, and that was as far as it went, but I loved history. Um, we'll go visit civil, uh, you know, civil war battlefields and plantation houses and, Oh, you know, look, you know, how beautiful this is and how great it is. And, you know, thinking about, uh, you, you know, the Confederate gray line marching and, and all of it just seemed very romantic and, mm-hmm. you know, wonderful. And, you know, uh, would read about Gettysburg and was sad of, uh, of the South lost. And, and like, you know, whenever people say that, that it's heritage, um, a lot of people really do mean it. Like, you know, you can study it and go into it and just never make the connection to what mm-hmm. this was really about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because I did that for years, I did that into my twenties. I studied history at Mississippi state, um, where I went to college and, uh, and I, of course, you know, read about civil rights history. I, I was trained to teach it in public school, but wasn't thinking about it in full. Um, went to seminary out of Golden Gate Baptist Theological Seminary out in, out in uh, California, um, in the late nineties and was uh, trained to think like a missionary and, uh, began reading the Bible that way and mm-hmm. started thinking about culture and started thinking about contextualization and barriers and bridges to the gospel. And, and that's when I think, and, and I, and I really loved people. I mean, I, I was, I was doing homeless ministry and working with people of all different races and backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, uh, I moved to Montgomery, Alabama. So that was the first church that I worked in where I was for almost 20 years and mm-hmm. stayed in the same church for most of that time. And I began thinking like a missionary. So I got to Montgomery, even though it was in the South, I didn't take it for granted that I understood it because every part of the South is different. Mm-hmm. So I started studying the background and this was the first uh, capital of the Confederacy. It was the birthplace of the civil rights movement. And, um, I wanted to understand it. And so that's when I really started doing, I had read a lot and knew a lot, but it was always from kind of like, I'm a white guy and that's black history, you know? And, you know, that's where like February being black history month does a disservice. Cause it segments it all, you know, everything's, Man. you know, it's all over here. And, and, and so I was able to segment it in my mind because that's, that's a, that's I, a whole nother conversation. Alan. You just, <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> Uh, I'm telling you, I'm just, I'm just getting started, right? Oh, um, it's that, it's that, that sounds like we know what our one of our February podcasts are going to be. Come on, let's go, <laughs> let's go. So I'm telling you all this because all of all of this background of me, I'm a Christian. I want to love all people. I know that racism is wrong, but just the whole framework that I'm raised in and everything that I see, I don't see or understand until I get to Montgomery in the early 2000s, well, uh, 2000, and I, and I begin to think like a missionary, or I'm thinking like a missionary, like I was trained to do theologically. And that's when it began to become clear. Um, okay, we were an all-white church in a rapidly transitioning uh, Montgomery where white flight was happening all over the place, and it was 50-50 white and black, and white people were moving out, and you know, black people were, were becoming the majority. The part of town that we were in was the white part of town, and then you had all different races moving in, and we were still a white church. I'm saying, well, this can't be. We're supposed to reach all people. Like, I knew that biblically. But then in trying to figure out why we weren't and why we couldn't, I started listening, studying, exploring, and I started doing this deep dive into history, which I've been trained to do uh, uh, with a history background, and then things just began to open up to me, and I'm like, oh my goodness stuff I didn't know anything about. How did this, how did this happen in a city full of churches, 
that claimed to be Christian in the Bible Belt, and this wasn't just the KKK writing. These were these were Christians. These were wow. people claiming to be believers, and they were promoting this, and they had this doctrine. So there were no good answers. No white evangelicals, no white Southern Baptists were talking about this. Period. Anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you brought it up, if you went to a seminary and talked to a professor, you talked to SBC leaders, they all said, "Hey, we apologize." 1995. Um, we're done. There's no point in talking about it anymore. Everything's fine. That's all in the past. And I was not, I was not satisfied with that. So I, um, I, I can be a bulldog about stuff. And the more that I studied, the more that I learned, the more that my mind began to change. And I realized, well, my understanding was just really surface level. Wow. And then as I just started spending time with African-Americans and, and pastors, it's, it's a whole long story, but, but um, whenever I, I, I preach and speak in churches on this, I used to say that I was taught that all this was in the past and we had just gotten over it. And, and, you know, it, it was, it was, uh, you know, that was just back then and people didn't know any better. And so I was, I thought like a child, but when I grew up and I learned to speak like a man, Come on. Um, then I began to realize there's a whole lot more to it that, that what happened. And that's where the book, um, I began researching and working on the book when heaven and earth collide is my own journey to understanding this. And then, um, I mean, I wrote it after I think I really worked all the way through the issue. It took, took about 10 years, but mm-hmm. I wrote it on the back end of that. And, um, and, uh, to explore racism and Southern evangelicals and what is the better way of Jesus? How should we address this? So yeah. that's a long answer to a short question, but no, but to be honest, I feel like that, that gives perspective for me. Um, but then our listeners as well, it's just like, man, like it's just not a, uh, I mean, it could be an aha moment, um, yeah. but it take it takes time. And I think that actually speaks to kind of what's been going on. I've had a lot of people kind of challenge me a little bit or ask me questions like, you know, well, why, why are you still having this conversation with people? Like they, it's just like, man, like people are, are listening now and you, it's, it's not a, a spiritual, I told you. So I've been saying this for years. Um, <laughs> that's right, that's right. I mean, I want it to be, but then it's like, like, nah, man, it takes time for people to have their eyes open for the scales to be removed from the eyes in the same way that Jesus, you know, the, the word of God says, like it's, it's God's patience that leads to repentance, mm-hmm. right? It's mm-hmm. this, this long journey of people seeing that it's just like yo dag i had a problem uh there was something going on here in my own heart that i just never realized uh and so i think even in that long answer that i think that's perfect yeah and some of that i told you so is important is important it's important no 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 no, not from you but because you know you don't want to get you know probably but from others to go back and say you know these folks were telling us mm-hmm. and we yeah. weren't listening. That was part of the problem. You know, mm-hmm. we were just yep. pushing people away or we, or we thought we knew and, and things like that. And I look back on things I thought I knew. Um, but I mean, but I grew up in the South and I, I grew up playing basketball and I was, you know, um, I was the white guy out there trying to keep up on the court with, with, with guys running over me and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And, and um, you know, so I, I'd already always been around, always been around black people. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, I didn't understand the background and the history and, and what led to the situation yeah. that we're in right now. Yeah. Man, that's good. That's good. Thanks, Alan. It's so good. Well, and you mentioned you ended up in Montgomery, you know, and you were there. In fact, that's when, although you and I probably knew of each other or had had background with your New Orleans background and the seminary and all that, but I think when I really first got to know you was when the guy I grew up best friends with became a student pastor with you, if I remember correctly. And and But you were there, man. You were in Montgomery. I've heard you give a lecture on this question that I'm about to ask you, um, and and you started it at least that day. I don't know if you do this every time, but at least that day you started it with the iconic picture that you could Google. Any of our listeners can Google and see it. 
and on the YouTube edition of this, I'll I'll put the picture if uh, if Derek um, is comfortable with it. I'll send it to him first. But it's it's a church building inside of a church building. You're looking at the front of the auditorium, and the KKK is lined up across the front of the Jesus auditorium. Saves, I'm all the way. And it okay says with Jesus that. saves above yeah. them. And yeah. and you you start with that picture. It's an iconic historic picture. Um, you start with that picture and, and the picture alone for those that are really trying to wrestle with this issue should break us. Mm-hmm. And I know the picture alone. Yeah. But, and it, but, it, it, I mean, it was taken in, in Oregon or something like that. It wasn't even in the South. It <laughs> wasn't know? even South. When I yeah. found that out, I was like, I said, boom, there you go. Yeah. yeah. The other day I was listening to a radio interview um, and, uh, and, and it was of a, it was on a radio show that, that not all white conservatives listen to, I'll put it that way. And, uh, and, and they were talking about that even still to this day in Minneapolis, there are clauses in real estate contracts that say white Caucasians are the only people that can dwell on this property. Wow. And I'm going, dang, like that's Minneapolis. Like this, mm-hmm. that's, that's not Montgomery, right? But, but, but your time in Montgomery, it, it, it shaped you just as much as what I just said shaped the people of Minneapolis, just as much as what happened today with the cops in Wilmington, North Carolina getting fired for racist remarks, because it's Wilmington, which was one of the most tragic massacres of black individuals in our history right no wonder the demons of that still exist in that place right like like you you think about it montgomery had to have a huge impact on you yeah it was uh i was beginning to do my research trying to find those barriers and bridges to the gospel in the south i didn't go back there being from the south uh, assuming that this was the bible belt and the christian culture and and it really felt like in a lot of ways it, it isn't and you know wasn't it was a it was a culture that had been inoculated against the gospel by getting a little bit of it, but not getting the whole thing. And so in yeah. a lot of ways, there's a lot of resistance to the gospel that's built up over time. And so how do you work around that? And one of the major, one of the major, if not the major issue is race and racial division. I mean, when people say that there's not systemic racism, and then we look at our all white and all black churches, like that's evidence there that is. systemic racism still has an effect. Uh, no, yes. it doesn't mean that a black family or can go to a, a white church or a white family can go to a black church and be welcome. I think they, you know, in large part would be until you start getting into some of the details of culture and things like that where people don't mm-hmm. feel welcome. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we are the way we are because of what happened in the past. And, and, and those ruts were, were dug and those barriers were built and they don't just fall down. Even if everybody changes their mind and you yeah. change all the laws, you still have the geography of, of culture is built in certain ways and we we unknowingly live in that and so we travel those valleys we climb those mountains and they're there and they've been built there for hundreds of years and so again just look at your if you go to church there's a good chance it's mostly white there's a reason for that Mm -hmm. um it's not just personal preference and so i'm I'm in montgomery and i'm learning these stories and there's one story in particular that stuck out to me um about uh when the freedom riders came to montgomery in 1961 may 1961 and they were beaten in in aniston the bus was burned in aniston they were beaten in birmingham and then they make their way to montgomery this is john lewis it's may 21st 1961 
and um, May 20th and 21st. They're beaten in Montgomery and they flee. They end up the next day at First Baptist Church on Ripley Street, which is the historic Black Baptist Church. There's a whole story behind that that's incredible. Well, Ralph Abernathy is the pastor, and the Freedom Riders end up in there. All of the luminaries of the Civil Rights Movement came. Uh, uh, Diane Nash came from Nashville. Uh, Martin Luther King flew in, um, or he uh, came back from Chicago to Atlanta and maybe drove down. Fred Charlesworth comes from Birmingham. Ralph Abernathy. I mean, everybody's there. Um, and it's, a, it's about 1,500 people inside the church. Uh, led by Reverend Solomon's uh, uh, say from uh, from Montgomery singing Love Lifted Me mm-hmm. When Nothing Else Could Help Love Lifted Me and a mob of about 3,000 white people surrounding the church trying to burn the church down on top of them throwing Molotov cocktails on the roof breaking oh glass gosh. throwing rocks through turning cars over well they turn a car over in the street uh, owned by Virginia Durr the uh, um, the 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 wife of the civil rights lawyer um, there who was a white lady and she was working with them but the car is on fire the the federal marshals have to come out there uh, threatening to bring them it was a national crisis you have the white mm-hmm. house on the line with uh, the governor who wouldn't respond this was this was horrendous and I, I'm, I'm in montgomery and i go to the church and there's a plaque out in front of it that tells the whole story i never in my life had heard that story nope. um, of, of 1500 black christians in church worshiping singing praying, preaching with a mob of 3000 white people surrounding it, trying to burn the church down on top of them. And I'm like, that's religious liberty. That's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean, blatant racism, all of, all of the things. And so then, you know, they're dispersed and there's this big, uh, I mean, the city of Montgomery was behind it. The state of Alabama was behind it. It was collusion with the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, this was state sponsored terrorism. Mm-hmm. And then it was just over and there were, there, there were regrets expressed there were, you know, the business leaders in Montgomery said, hey, we shouldn't have violence. This isn't good for anybody, all this kind of stuff. But I began to wonder what kind of wounds were created in the white and black, in the, in the body of Christ when mm-hmm. that happened? When, mm-hmm. Why weren't there hundreds and thousands of white Christians coming down the street to protect their brothers and sisters in Christ who were in that church? And the reason why was because a lot of them were in the mob. They right. were in the crowd. Or they didn't care, or they didn't even know what was happening because they did just, you know, cover their ears and cover their eyes and weren't paying attention. So learning that story, I, I, and this was the early 2000s. This is when I first got to Montgomery. But that story was like, um, if you remember in the Matrix, when Morpheus uh, talks about a splinter in your brain driving you mad, mm-hmm. you know, yep, yep. that story was the splinter in my brain. And I could not look at the South. I couldn't look at Christian history in America. I couldn't look at race the same way again, because for that to have happened, and for it to have been allowed and for a city in the South in the Bible Belt, Southern Baptists and National Baptists and everybody all over the place, for it to get to that point, a whole lot of hell had to break loose for a long time before that. Yep. And, and then have we ever really repented from it? Have we, we ever really come out of it? And yeah. so, um, you know, so that began the exploration. And so Montgomery, Montgomery is the epicenter. I believe that 100%. I, I hate having left there. I was get, used to give city tours and explain all these things and walk in the streets of Montgomery. But, it, but if you want to learn the story, uh, mm-hmm. go to Montgomery and walk the streets. Um, um, EJI has done amazing stuff with the, yeah, uh, the Lynching Memorial and, and the Slave Museum. And, but, but it's the collision of race and culture and politics and religion and history all collide there. And that's where, um, you know, the, uh, the title When Heaven and Earth Collide came from. I have a picture of that church. Um, I have the book, but on top of it, that's the church on Ripley Street, First Baptist. Wow. The idea wow. that heaven and earth colliding at this place um, uh, is what came yes. out. But the church was there, so the church didn't fail. And, and, and this is the other thing. We would ask, why did the church fail when it came to race? And I said that for years. Uh, why did the church fail? And, and, and I hate that I framed it that way because the church didn't fail. 
black Christians were calling for truth and justice for a long time. I mean, the church was there. The church was telling the truth. The church was prophetic. The church was pointing to Jesus. Yes. Um, there was a religious revival breaking out and the rest of us didn't see it. And we said mm -hmm. it was Marxism. It was communism. It was, uh, um, it was, it, it was all of these leftist ideologies and all they were doing was holding up scripture and the rest of us couldn't even see. So I no longer say that the church failed when it came to race. I say that the white church failed, but the yeah, black yeah. church was getting it right. And we should have listened to them. Man, that's, that's good. That's really good, Alan. And you, you mentioned it, so I would say that there's maybe aspects of that uh, in, in your book, maybe not, but uh, even just hearing you now, I'm, as soon as we're done with this, I'm ordering that book. Uh, I, have, I have not read it, um, but I'm about to go on a, on a vacation and I'm reading that book, When Heaven and Earth Collide. Um, so I would, I would love to just kind of figure out uh, or hear from you, what would you say are two takeaways from that book? that you feel like best set someone up to want to go to purchase and, and read it. Uh, if they're not convinced yet with what you were just saying. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, it, um, you know, it's an exploration. So I start with a series of questions and they're the questions that I heard, you know, raised as a, as a white Southern Baptist conservative pastor. I, um, I, there had been critiques written before of the white church from, from the left or from people who had left white evangelicalism theologically um, mm -hmm. because they couldn't, they couldn't stay, it anymore, stay in it anymore because of the failures on race. I, I took a different approach where I said, you know, it isn't, it isn't the white evangelical church um, that, or it, it isn't evangelical theology that is to blame per se. It's, it's the way that we didn't apply what our own theology taught us. And so, you know, how do we love our neighbors sacrificially? I mean, read Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Where, where if you have anything of Jesus at all, any comfort from, uh, um, uh, from him, any fellowship uh, from the spirit, like Christianity 101, like if you became a Christian five minutes ago and have anything from Jesus, then you should put the interest of others ahead of your own. You should count yeah. others better than yourselves. That's what yeah. it says. And so like, this isn't a failure of our theology. It's a failure of application. And then our orthopraxy then affects our orthodoxy, right? So like our practice affects our theology. So eventually, if you don't practice it, you warp it and then you, you shift it and you say, well, it doesn't matter. So what I get at through a series of questions is I go back to the point in time where our theology was subverted um, to make allowance for this massive sin that was entering in. And it didn't come in through the church initially. It came in through economics and through, yeah. uh, you know, developing, I mean, it was money and it was, it was, yeah. it was how do you have prosperity and, and, and developing or protecting your way of life. Right. So yeah. it's, so the underlying issue beneath it, and this is what I unfold over hundreds of years of history and a, and a, and a few hundred pages is that racism is a symptom of a deeper issue, which is the, the, the drive to promote, protect and defend your way of life. And that yeah. can manifest in a lot of different ways. And so once we overtly dealt with racism, and so I build this whole case, I'm kind of giving you a preview, but I build this whole case about how it all developed. And it comes to a head in the 60s overtly. But mm -hmm. then when that's cut off by 1968, like legally you can't do this anymore because the law's passed. Then instead of repenting, we just um, went underground and we just developed other ways to do the same thing. And yeah. so to, to black people, it all looks like racism because we're doing the same things. Mm -hmm. We say, white people say it's not racism because really what we're doing is, um, is well, we're just promoting family values and we're just promoting, you know, um, you know our own individual choice. And, and we're just kind of pursuing our own way of life. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, and that is without concern for others. But, but we have those ridges and ditches and mountains that have been built because of hundreds of years of racialization. So even though we might, you know, go out and just try to live life normally, as long as you're living for yourself and protecting your way of life in America, that's going to eventually flow racially. 
yeah. that's where all of the of, of the of the river valleys have been created uh, uh, from for, uh, from the past, and so the book gives a way out of that, which is the better way of Jesus, which I unfold, uh, which really is, is through sacrificial love of laying down your rights and laying down your power, considering your neighbor, and then finding those places of pain and of brokenness that still exist because of history. Now, none of this is saying that the reader is a racist. I never say that. I yeah. have no idea where your heart is, but we all live in this racialized world, whether we like it or not. And you can be the most unracist person but if you're not aware of the world that you live in and the ruts that have already been created that you just fall into then you're not gonna be able to navigate this missionally so um the cross is the way out of it where you're constantly trying to think how do i lay down my life and my rights for others so that people can be healed and so that we can speak um the gospel into all of these things so when i see protest and when i see these things happen i grieve but then my next thought is how can i how can i bring gospel healing to this. And it starts by listening. It starts by trying to hear what people are saying. And I still have a lot to learn. I definitely don't know everything. Um, but instead of reacting against it and getting angry because, well, that's not me, I do think, well, why are people saying this? Why are people having these reactions to things? If I don't know, then I need to understand, right? And so the gospel causes me to lean forward into people's lives and into their pain so that I can, you know, not just be the teacher bringing Jesus, but so I can see where Jesus is already working. And, uh, and, and try to join him in that, um, you know, to bring redemption there. So anyway, that's a, another long answer to a short question, but those are the um, uh, uh, promote and protect your fence uh, and defend your way of life is the underlying cause beneath all of this. And it, it manifests racially in America, um, in, in, in the new world, and then the cross, uh, uh, sacrificial love and the application of the cross that Jesus is the answer. Um, but then we have to apply that into society um, through sacrificial love. Um, yeah. And that's the other half of it. So, yeah. Well, listen, number one, you don't need to apologize about a long answer. Um, but two, uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to, to opening that up, getting it, opening it up, um, and then being able to recommend it, man. Because, you know, especially at a time like this, there are a lot of people asking me, uh, you know, man, what are some resources? I've, I've got a running list uh, that, you know, I'm constantly adding this uh, things on. So I'm looking forward to being able to add this on there as well. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm -hmm. It's so good, man. And I, you know, at the risk of saying something controversial, I mean, I think, I think, uh, personal relationship with Jesus, right? That phrase that uh, I'm not against that phrase. I think we do have a personal relationship with Jesus. And I think what Jesus did was for me, but I, but if, if, if I can't put that inside of the frame or the or the bottle of or whatever metaphor I want to use of what Jesus did for us collectively of what of what you know it's an individual and a collective element and that's so much of what I'm hearing you say right it's this it's this shift and so you almost wonder if the evil one duped the south into making it nothing more than a personal relationship with Jesus and missing out on the collective nature of the implications of that. And I mean, Jesus said that, right? Well, love God and love your neighbor, right? I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not like it's bad theology. And, and so, you know, I, I, I just, I well, love it, that you're, hit, you're hitting yeah, on those things. But, but in the South, it becomes bad theology because that develops. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, that actually develop so we wouldn't notice the the, uh, the rattle of chains around us so that personal yes. relationship with jesus developed in the midst of massive collective sin um you know i tell a story um in, uh, in my, if you were a christian in montgomery alabama in 1835 1836 and you walked down the street in 18 
1836 after the last Creek War, where, where land speculators had come in and they were raiding the Creek lands, the Creek Indian lands, and they were pushing them into starvation. Finally, they rose up again and tried to defend themselves. And that was all that they needed for the, uh, for the US Army to come in and crush them uh, um, uh, in the last Creek War. And then they were rounded up and put in concentration camps in East Alabama. Okay, and these were the first concentration camps, and um, and and they were held there, and then they were marched in chains um, from East Alabama, where those camps were, to Montgomery, and put on boats. At the same time, that a thousand uh, 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 black slaves a day were being marched down the federal road to Montgomery to be sold, to be sold, and uh, and to be housed. Um, it, it might have been a thousand every day, but there was a, a report of a British traveler who who counted a thousand in one day. Uh, um, uh, during this time period um, that were marching down to be sold. So you had white Christians in central Alabama who were uh, um, building plantations. And to do that, they had to clear out the native peoples and they had to import uh, black slaves from other parts of the South as the, as the deep South was opening up. So if, if you were a Christian in 1836, walking down the streets of Montgomery, the rattle of chains was everywhere from wow. creeks being marched out on the trail of tears where thousands of them died to African slaves being marched in. Um, and you had to somehow deal with that. So your religion went private to just me and Jesus, because for it to be public on anything other than supporting this, it, it, um, it, it would get you thrown out of town. It wouldn't work. And so yeah. that me and Jesus thing, um, and a Charles Marsh in his book, God's Long Summer, he, he does an incredible expose on this. And in chapter five of my book, I, I explain all this. So, uh, Douglas Hudgens, who was the pastor of First Baptist Jackson, Mississippi, was considered in the 1950s, he was the theologian of the South who helped everybody navigate this with a me and Jesus uh, theology so that they didn't have to deal with Freedom yeah. Summer. And they didn't have to deal with, with uh, the Freedom Riders being locked in parchment and singing hymns from inside of, of the jail cells. And, yeah. and, and, we're, and, uh, and we're the governor um, of, a, uh, of, a, of a Mississippi um, the racist governor was able to teach Bible studies in his church. And he, he was at the same time locking up freedom riders because it was personal. It was individual. Mm -hmm. So whenever we say that it's good theology, it is in a sense, but the way it developed in the South was, was horrendous. And it yeah. developed yeah. for a reason. It, it didn't develop independent of all this mess. And that's why we have to know our history. And I learned that at Golden Gate Seminary studying under Dr. Stanley Nelson, who told us that no theology develops in a vacuum. Uh, whatever it is, look at what was happening all around it. It was reacting to something or against something. It could be good, but sometimes it might be bad. And so again, I'm all for, you know, for your podcast, I'm all for a personal relationship with Jesus. We have to have that. But when we know well, him, it transforms how we see everything else. Well, and I might not have been clear. My statement of that's not bad theology was actually about the love God, love neighbor right. statement of Jesus, mm -hmm. right? Like sure. that, that's not bad theology. Jesus right. said it. Because I, I do think it's bad theology if you're not learning the gospel in community. You can't learn the gospel outside of community. Right. Mm. You, you can't, you, unless you have people to learn reconciliation and forgiveness and grace with, right? I mean, my dad, when I hear him teach about the Old Testament mercy seat, mm -hmm. right? He always explains it like this. He's, it's why he does not like the way we, we typically teach about the propitiation of sin. Because in the Old Testament, the propitiation of sin, big theology, theology word there, in the Old Testament, that was justice and sin mm -hmm. meeting. But the mercy seat, which symbolized propitiation, was instead of justice and sin meeting, 
and all of a sudden I'm, I'm only ashamed or I'm only guilty or I'm only going to be judged and annihilated, right? Instead of that idea or get, you know, eradicated is what I mean by that. Instead of that idea, mercy collides. Yeah. I love that you use the word collide in your, in your title because, because that's what happens, right? Yeah. And we are a people who live under the benefit of mercy colliding where justice and sin were colliding. Like we, that's who we are. Yeah. And, and so to hear, to hear us talk about, you know, stupid, stupid statements about that cry out against social justice ideas, we've got to wake up to the idea that justice and injustice, we can't sit by when injustice isn't either met with someone who stands up and speaks for the voiceless or met with someone who stands up and brings mercy to the table. Man, we, have to, we have to do that. And, and so I, that, that's what I love about every time I've ever heard you talk, Alan, I, I walk out of there thinking, okay, I'm better equipped. I'm better equipped to engage there. I'm better to equip to lean into that, to push back where it needs to be pushed back, but to even bring mercy to myself and my own racial biases and my own selfishness. So it's a big deal, man. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, Jason, I studied under your dad uh, one, one summer um, at seminary. He did a, um, uh, a, a class on, on revelation and eschatology. And um, I, I, I took a couple of these summer classes from that I just audited. And so he had us reading the whole book of Revelation in context when we we're going through the history and background. It was really good. And I got to Revelation 13 about the mark of the beast and about, um, you know, buying and selling and, you know, bowing the knee and all that. And I had, you know, uh, I had been taught like, like everybody else in my pre-trib, pre-dispensational or, or, or dispensational pre-trib, uh, uh, a rapture premillennial view about, you know, one day you'll get the 666 on your forehead and, you know, and, and, but what, it's, what it says is that if you bow before an economic system that requires fidelity uh, and to turn against God and to worship this beast, this economic system, and if you bow the knee to that, you're taking the mark of it upon yourself. Mm. And suddenly I started thinking about all the years in the South where white business owners uh, violated the Imago Dei, the image of God, and went along with a racist system and a racist structure, because if they didn't, they would not be able to buy or sell. That's right. And, and a, suddenly that whole mark of the beast took on a very different mm. connotation for me, because this is throughout all of Christian history. And I'm not saying it won't one day happen in exactly the way that all the books and novels have said, I don't know. But, but for me today, I realized, you know, if I ever make a decision or bow the knee about anything following the Lord, because I might not make money in the future, because I might not have prosperity, because my church might not grow. Because if I take the stand, then I might lose people in the church. Then how am I not bowing the knee to a system set up against God? Right. Mm. And so suddenly that reframes the whole thing. Like we can't wait to get this right. Because as long as we're compromising, like whatever's true is true, right? And we should mm. live that way. So yeah, I was sitting in that class in New Orleans Seminary and all of a sudden my head exploded. And I'm like, wait a minute, this, this, this could actually apply to us today. It could have, 1925, yes. if you're a white business owner and you're serving black people around back and you know it's Done. wrong. Done. Yeah, you know? Man. So. 
that's where like I insert like the reggae horns like, burr, 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 like that was <laughs> <laughs> like that's good that that's good so perspective good. sheesh I agree. Now, now I'm not saying that people weren't Christians. I mean, we can fall into deception and, and all of us have blind spots. And so yes. we need to have, we need to have mercy and grace with people because God saves us out of all kinds of things, but yeah. it should, it should humble us and it should cause us to, to, to really tremble before all this, you know? Yeah. yeah. As we wrap this episode up, give us some takeaways of if, if someone's listening and they're like, okay, I hear you, Alan, and, and I'm where you were before you, started that journey. I'm, I'm where you are. You know, this is my first Baptist moment like you had when you saw that plaque on those steps, right? That this moment in American history for a lot of white leaders is that, or maybe it's someone of any color skin who's just saying, this is going to be so hard. What do I do now? Like, what's the next step I can take? Regardless of those perspectives, from your historical perspective, yeah. Give us some uh, some insight. What do we do now? Um, you know, I ended up leaving my church in 2015, and I went to work um, uh, on behalf of immigrants and refugees um, because it was just a logical flow and conclusion. And I continued to work in Montgomery. I worked with the Montgomery Baptist Association um, as a missional strategist with them. I would host tours of people coming in. So I kept working on on racial reconciliation, expanded it to to how we treat immigrants and refugees, and. You know, last year when we had this surge of, of asylum seekers coming to the border, mm-hmm. we had one million people come from all over the world to our borders begging for help. And the churches along the borders were receiving those people. ICE was, uh, was processing uh, asylum seekers. They, they were coming and declaring asylum. It was illegal to do so. So you had tens of thousands of people a day being processed at the border stations and then being turned over to churches where the churches were taking them in. The churches were totally overrun. They were turning their sanctuaries into, um, into uh, uh, receiving areas. Um, I went to the border several times during that time period, met pastors who had turned their whole ministry over to helping these people. And, and I tried with whatever little voice I had begged uh, evangelicals across the country. I helped reporters get stories. I wrote myself. I called people. Um, I begged Southern Baptists, please, let's engage this, you know, you know, missionally. Let's send mission teams. Let's uh, uh, support these churches at the border that are receiving these people from all over the world. And I, I did research over half of them were claiming to be evangelical Christians when they came. They're coming from Guatemala and, and uh, Honduras. These were our, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we would not do it. Last year, we would not do it. And I was asking people, why won't we engage us? Why aren't we sending mission teams? Why aren't we sending caravans of supplies? I mean, I, I, mean, I was down there and I was with guys. Uh, I, I, we, we'd go to Walmart and, and, and fill up a, a, a buggies of plates and cups and supplies. They're putting on their own credit cards and buying this stuff. Where were the rest of us? Mm-hmm. We see all of this politically and we think, I can't even talk about, and this is what I was being told. I can't talk about this in my church because people might think that I'm against the president. Mm-hmm. And so a million souls came to our border last year. And this wasn't about politics. It was about, it was about ministry. It was, and so we say we're about the gospel and we're not, we don't respond to the people coming to us begging for help. And so if you want to see where our hearts are, just look, how did, how did your church respond last year? How did the people around you respond last year? And so what Zechariah seven says is that God tells us to be kind um, and, to, and, and to show justice and to be merciful to the widow, the orphan, the sojourner, and the poor. Mm-hmm. And, and if you don't do that, you'll block up your ears, you'll turn a shoulder, and your hearts will become diamond hard 
and then you will be turned over to the whirlwind. You'll yeah. be turned wow. over um, and, and you'll be scattered and, 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 and you'll lose your land. And so I'm looking at what happened last year. A million people came to us and the church by and large took a pass because it was too hard. And mm. then what's happened this year, right? Yeah. 2020 wow. has been the whirlwind and I'm not trying to say the judgment. I mean, I have no idea what God is, you know, um, is doing, but I do know that when our hearts harden against the people that come to our doorstep, then we're not prepared for what comes next. Yeah. You know, so our, so the biggest thing that I can say is keep your heart sensitive, keep it open when there are people in your community. And, w- and what we found out when I was going to the border, um, we found out that one of the places from, from El Paso, Texas, where people were going to was Montgomery, Alabama. Mm. Now, then I, uh, then I contacted our ministry centers, the Baptist ministry centers with our association. We have, we have, we have three or four of them working with our churches and I contacted them and, and I said, are you seeing people showing up from Guatemala? Because according to the results, the people coming from, from Guatemala, a big number of them are heading to Montgomery and said, yes, we've actually been seeing people showing up here, emaciated, wiped out, um, you know, sick, really thin from their journey. And I said, that's because they're coming up through the border. So they were coming to your towns. They were coming to Nashville. They were coming to Montgomery, Alabama. They were showing up for months on end and our churches weren't aware of it, you know? And and, and so it, you know, you know, that's not this situation with what's happening you know, with the Black Lives Matter and, and with the racial, because that's been going on for a long time. But I'm saying again and again and again, we have opportunities to open up our eyes and to see who the Lord sends our way. And if we really believe Acts 17, that God is in charge of the movements of the people around the earth so that they'll seek yeah. him and reach out to them and find him, yeah. then we can, we can recognize that we're on the receiving end of that. Like we should be welcoming people and we should also be aware of the people in our own communities who are hurting and, and, who, and who are burdened. So the biggest thing that I can say to do is, is to have that private relationship with Jesus, you know, that we talked about that actually means that you love your neighbor and you love your perceived enemy. Mm -hmm. Um, And, 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 you know, go to Philippians two, one through 11 and see what Jesus did for us and what we're going to do for others. And if you start there, then you open your eyes and you say, what is right in front of me? What's, you know, you know, local schools, what's happening with, you know, with, with broken communities and people's lives. And, and you open your eyes up, God will show you what to do. I don't ever tell anybody exactly what to do. I don't know. But yes. I, do know, I do know that Jesus is the answer, but it's Jesus applied into these things, not just, oh, you know, get saved and go to heaven, then everybody will be yeah. changed. You don't have to worry about it. We yeah. actually have to live so, it out, you know? So that's my, again, long answer to a short question. So That's good. That's good. Well, Alan, we, we greatly, greatly appreciate your time. Um, this is, uh, we know that obviously you're busy and not only that, you're uh, three hours uh, behind us, um, two hours behind uh, Jason, but uh, you you took the time and uh, we greatly appreciate it, um, man. If people wanted to follow you on on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that, where can they find you? Yeah, that's where um, I, I do most of my stuff. Um, just as far as commenting on things and trying to point to solutions, but um, A L A N L Cross um, on on Twitter at Alan L Cross, um, and uh, I'm on Facebook too. Um, you know, I do some stuff private with with my family, but. Then, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm actually going to start, uh, I know this is Aaron before this, but Monday night, the 29th, I think, of June, I'm going to start mm-hmm. a, um, a Facebook Live going through this book um, uh, from 7 to 8 o'clock Pacific time. Um, so if you guys want to join on or, you know, uh, it'll be 9 or 10 o'clock your time, but but uh, I'm going to start with the SBC resolution against um, racism in 1995 and the, the apology for that. And then we'll, we'll work away each week. So I'll probably be doing that through the summer. Um, wow. Okay. That'll be uh, public on Facebook live. So. I'm blown away again. Uh, just again, transparency, my bias. I'm just like, like, man, this, this guy here, there's so much that I can learn 
um, even even as he talks, man, you've you've done you've done the work. Um, you've got the receipts. And uh, like I said, I'm going to purchase your book. Uh, we can find it on Amazon uh, when, when heaven and earth collide. Uh, racism, Southern Evangelicals, and the Better Way of Jesus. I'm, like I said, really looking forward to, to, to digging into that. So, um, man, again, thank you. Thank you for your time, Alan. We, we greatly appreciate it. Um, and, and as always, uh, we want to thank you for, uh, to our listeners for, for listening to, to us uh, here at the Recon Combo. Um, remember, you can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter under the Recon Combo. You can also stay connected with us through our website, reconciliationconversation.com or feel free to subscribe to our YouTube channel under No More Night Media. Alongside my friend Jason Dukes, my name is Derek Delane, and we look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time. Peace out.